Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Let us pray. Genesis chapter 2. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you. We praise you. Truly have your way in us, God. Teach us, guide us, lead us. Show us who you are. Let us hear you and hear you clearly, God. Give us understanding hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 2, it talks about the creation of Adam. And we're going to start picking up at verse 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. said, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We're going to pause right there. In this chapter, we see the origins of man formed from the dust of the ground and became a living soul. And one of the questions that as we go forward from here, once we move from the spirit and get to talking about the identity of man, and a big question for me is purpose. I remember way back when I was 18, and what I describe as one of the worst months of my life when my father passed. My birthday was on the April the 4th, and my dad passed on April the 8th. It's four days after my birthday. But before he passed, he called me, and we had a, a slight conversation because he saw my picture in the newspaper. It was... News showed up at the school. They was doing something. I had no idea. I wasn't even a part of the program. They just pulled me to the side because I had a suit on and, <laughs> and took a picture of me. And they put it talking about whatever they was going on in the school, but they had my picture there. And when my father saw it, he called, and we got to talking. And when he was talking, he he made this statement that stuck with me. And it intrigued me at the time. He's like, son, I finally get it. I finally figured it out. Like, that's what you're talking about. It's like the key to life. And that was the end of the conversation. And that stuck with me. I had no idea what he mean. And I sat down, I thought about it. Then, like I said, four days later, he passed. And when I was going to college, going to Alabama State, I used to walk. From Cedar Park to Alabama State. I'm y'all, that ain't no frame of reference because Cedar Park don't exist no more, so you don't quite get it. <laughs> but from Mobile Highway to Alabama State University, that's how I used to make it to school. I get up late, I missed the bus, I had to walk. Cause the city line take like two hours just to make it from there, and I can walk there faster than going all downtown and transferring. So I get up and I walk. But in those walks to and from Alabama State, 
that's when God really began to deal with me. All that silent time, a long time. And one question, well, one or two questions that, that stuck with me. And one of them referenced back to what my father was talking about, like trying to figure out what he mean by the key of life. And it morphed into the question of what is the purpose? Does life truly have a meaning? What does it mean to be a man? Is there any meaning or purpose to life? And that, that's something I thought about just back and forth with no frame of reference. And just sitting there talking and had absolutely no answer for the question. But as God began to deal with me, this was one of the, the main things that, that stuck at me, trying to find purpose and trying to find meaning, trying to understand what life is supposed to be about. And as I began and as God began to reveal himself to me and I began to contemplate this question with a little more understanding, I always go back to Genesis. Because identity is a big deal for our existence. To the point where we're willing to embrace certain things that is pure foolishness because it's a part of who we are. Y'all get you understand what I'm saying? It's like we've been stuck in this identity as black people, as they call us, that certain things have to be certain ways and we refuse to accept certain other things, no matter how foolish it is. Like I tell somebody, man, I don't eat watermelon. What the first thing they say? You ain't black. <laughs> like, ain't no way you black and you from the country. You don't eat watermelon. Because identity comes with so many other cultural things that we feel bound to accept to be a part of this clan, to be a part of this group, to be a part of whatever, to, to, to have some sense of self, some sense of worth, some sense of something. But the amazing thing is, is that in our search for identity, in our search for purpose, we turn this off and just open up ourselves and allow people to define us and allow cultural backgrounds to define us, allow where we come from to define us without truly seeking for the true definition of who we are from the real source of life. And if we were to do that, we would have to go back to how we were made. And in this, we get a glimpse of our identity, who we are as human beings. In verse 7, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about. And in both the New Testament and what we call the Old Testament, the word for spirit can be translated breath or air or breathing. In the Hebrew is ruach. Just means air, wind, breath, breathing. In the New Testament, is pneuma. That's where we get pneumonia from. It has to deal with the lungs, the air, the breathing. That's all the word spirit means. Breath, air, wind. All of those are the same word. And so if you pay close attention here, it shows you a deep part of your identity. It said man was formed from the dust of the ground 
and God breathed into him the breath of life. And that word breath could also be translated the spirit of life. And once the spirit of life, the breath of life entered into man, man became a living soul. So you had this shell, you have this form, this structure, which we would call a body that was there. But it was only until God breathed into him that he began to live. So we cannot truly be man. We cannot truly express our true life and our true identity apart from the breath of God being breathed within us. Because only until God breathed within him the breath of life did he become a man. Did he become a living soul? Before that moment, he was just a body. So a part of our identity as human beings, if we have to allow God to be God in us in order for us to truly be a man, in order for us to truly be human. So a man attached, a detached from the breath of life, the spirit of life, the spirit of God being breathed within him is no man at all. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? This is our identity. We are people in whom the breath of God is supposed to be breathed through. And that's the only way that we have life. So once you're disconnected from that, if the breath of God is not living through you. The spirit of God is not moving in you. You're less than what you were created to be. But if we continue to read and we make it to Genesis chapter 3, Adam jacked up and he was banished from the great and beautiful garden that God created for him. He was cut off from destiny and he was separated from God. And from that point, death, decay, chaos began to seep into the world and destroy humanity as we know it. Everything messed up. And go over to fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter 6, and see God's summation of this thing. Now, the breath of life is what makes us human, the spirit of God living within us. A man without the spirit of God is just a shell of himself. It says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. I'm in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Now I'm going to verse 2. So that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. So God makes this declaration. Man began to be wicked and wickedness increased. You go on down to verse five to talk about every imagination of man's heart being evil always. So God begins to plot the destruction of man. But in his declaration of the plotting of the destruction, man, he makes this statement. My spirit shall not always strive with man because he is flesh. So the spirit of God was moving in that time. The spirit of God was moving in that day and in that age, in this time before Noah, in the midst of all this wickedness. And it was striving. It was fighting. It was struggling with man, drawing man, trying to allow man to be God. And God said that ain't going to always happen. Because he is flesh. So it was something about the condition of these men that caused God to begin to withdraw his spirit from them. 
Without the spirit of God, we cannot fulfill purpose because it's our identities to be a shell for the breath of God to move through us. That's what gives us life. That's what's animate us. But because of the condition of man, God redrew that spirit. So we're separated from our life source. We're separated from our true identity. But God still allowed man to live. And he began this journey of drawing a people unto himself through this person called Abraham. And he made Abraham a promise that he was going to multiply his seed, that he was going to give him a land, that he was going to bless him. This is the promise that he made to Abraham. And that was the recreation of humanity as we know it. This promise made to Abraham. Now, we mostly know the story. And like, what does this got to do with the Holy Spirit? God made Abraham a promise. And the promise was for the blessing of all people and the blessing of all nations. And all nations have been separated from the spirit and life of God. We can't be man without the spirit in the life of God. So if God is going to truly bless people, God has to do what? Put his breath back inside of us. So a part of this promise to Abraham has to do something with the spirit. But watch this. Go to Psalms 105. Psalms 105. 105, say. We're going to start at verse 38 for time. Psalms 105, verse 38. I'm going to read down to the end. It said, Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out. They ran in dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the lands of the heathen. And they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise you, the Lord. So this, this summing up the children of Israel's journey out of, the, out of Egypt and through the wilderness. Talks about all these great things he did them, how he fed them, how he covered them, how he brought them out of Egypt. Gave them water to drink by the rock, all these miraculous things. But in verse 42, it tells you why he did it. He said, because he remembered his holy promise in Abraham, his servant. So all the great stuff for the exodus happened. He went and got his people, told Pharaoh to let them go, gave them great miracles, took them through the Red Sea, sustained them through the 40 years of their rebellion, 40 years of their complaining, 40 years of them refusing to do the very things that he told them to do. Why? Because he remembered his promise to Abraham. Just think about that now. God gave them commandments. He set up a whole covenant. He did miracles to get them to where they were. And what was one of the first thing they did? Soon as they got out the wilderness, they made golden calves and had an orgy. First thing they did. 
God and showed the miracle after miracle after miracle. And they said, we're going to praise God. Aaron, make us a cow. We're going to worship that. And they had an orgy. Now, if anything, God should have done what? Killed every last one of them. That's what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he did to Egypt when they refused to obey what he had going on. But these people fresh out. They know God for like 10 days. And the first thing they do, worship another God and have an orgy. They didn't hear God speak from the mountain, show up in a cloud, talk directly to them. That's the first thing that they do. And they move from there to complain, to murmur, to disbelieve, to doubt God, to speak against Moses, to want to go back, do some other type foolishness. All of this continually, continually for 40 years. But God remained patient with them. God continued to work with them. God continued to draw them. And God took them to the land of promise because he made a promise to who? Abraham. So this shows you something about the way that God feels about his promises. He provided for them, even though they were complaining about his provision. Yet he still made a way. Because he remembered his promise. In his servant Abraham. Go to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. Starting at about verse 16. 2 Kings chapter 8 verse 16 said, In the fifth year of Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old when he was he when he began to reign and reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David, his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him all way in light and to his children. So this is. Jehoshaphat, son, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, he took over David's throne. And it makes this statement about, say, he did evil according to, just like the children of Israel, just according to the pattern of Ahab. Ahab worshipped all type of other gods, did all type of foolishness, prosecuted the people of God, and sought to destroy and kill them all. And he's saying Jehoshaphat's son was just like Ahab. But for some reason, God would not destroy Judah. Now, Ahab's kingdom, God told him he's going to destroy every son that he got. And his wife was going to be eaten up by the dogs. They won't get a chance to bury her. That's how God judged Ahab's house. Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son, did the same thing Ahab did. But he said he wouldn't destroy Judah. Why would he sustain the house of Judah 
even though the king of Judah is bringing in all this idolatry, bringing in all this false worship, following in all this wickedness, the same wickedness that got the children of Israel punished. Said because God remembered his promise that he made to David. God made a promise to David, and because of that promise, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's child, would not be destroyed. So God takes his promises very seriously. What did Jehoshaphat's son do to deserve the promise? Nothing. Actually, he did everything to have the promise taken away from him. And I'm going to ask you a deeper question. What did David do to deserve the promise? Nothing. David ascended to the throne from a humble position as a low man and began to wild out his sin. But God made him a promise. And because of his promise, he refused to destroy the house of Judah. And the only thing that was sustaining them was the promise that God made. Are you, you understanding what I'm saying? God's promises are yes and amen. They're sure. Go to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. 23 verse 19. It says, God is not a man, Numbers 23, 19, that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So this is talking about God. This is a scene where they was trying to get this fake prophet called Balaam to curse the children of Israel, and he could not. He wanted to, he tried to, from all different angles, but he could not curse them. And this is the thing that came out of his mouth. When the man get on him, like, hey, man, I'm paying you to do this. What you doing? And he said, God is not a man that he should lie. So once God had declared something to be, he going to do it. And if he told you it's going to happen, he going to make it good. This is the nature of the God that we serve. So God's promises are sure. God's promises are, cannot be changed. God's promises cannot be undone. God's promises cannot be taken away. And God has established earth as we know it through the word of his promise. Y'all, you, you're starting to get the picture. And like today, if you watch the world news, there's a small group of people in the middle of the desert over there in what we call the Middle East. They are a mystery to the world because small as they are, they still exist. It's the Israel, that little piece of land, and the little folks who call themselves Jews over there. Everybody keep trying to destroy them. Everybody keep trying to wipe them out. But they still there. And if you actually took the numbers, Depending on who you ask, it's less than a hundred million of them jokers. And you go over there, when they count the light-skinned ones, I see I count the dark ones too. They don't count them. So if you watch the national folks, they'll tell you less than 50 million of them over there. 
But I count the dark skinned one, so I boost it up to a hundred. This is planted, not in the land, over the whole globe. If you take the whole globe of everybody, including the fake ones that are going to be talking to you down the street and telling you you're a black man and you're the chosen people of God, if you include them too, it's less than 100 million of them on the planet. And everybody keep trying to destroy them. All these plans keep trying to get rid of them. And they one of the only nations that we know of that was completely wiped out of their land but somehow made it back and still exists. No other nation we know of in history that we have seen do that. All other ancient cultures that we see when we study history, we study world history, once they get wiped out or once they get assimilated or once they get scattered from their place, that's the end of them. You don't see them no more. They do not exist no more on the planet as a people. Like, how many times have you been watching the news and they be like, the Hittites is trying <laughs> to regather themselves and fight against the Syrians? You don't see that because there ain't no more Hittites. You don't hear no stories about Aztecs trying to kick the Mexicans from down there and retake over their land. Them stories don't exist because there ain't no more Aztecs. If there are ancestors, they're not people. I mean, if there are descendants, there are no people. Because once a land gets taken over and the people get removed, they do not exist anymore. But some way, somehow, this liberty band of people was able to be completely taken out of that land. It was a desert land for years. Get sent to a place where the whole function of the government was to kill them. We call it the Holocaust. Whole government trying to kill you. And somehow they show up back in that little land and they still fighting to have their peace and to be a nation. How is this possible? Because God made them a promise that he going to put them in the land, they going to be in the land, and they going to be his people. All of this because of one promise that God made to one man thousands of years ago. And he's still keeping it. Y'all think about that. Huh? He made a promise to one dude thousands of years ago. And he's still keeping it today. Half of the people over there don't even believe in God. Because they heard the stories of the Holocaust and they said, can't be no God if this happened to our people. But he's still keeping his promises to these people. Just because he promised one man something. Now, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? And how could we take refuge in this faithfulness of God? Go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 49. Let me show you this. Something you probably never paid attention to. One of the names of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. It says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, 
but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. Tarry you into the inner city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It's talking about Jesus again. It says, and being assembled together with them, talking about Jesus and his disciples, said, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, you have heard of me. For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So this is Jesus. And he's telling his disciples, y'all wait, y'all stay here. Remain, don't go nowhere. Because I'm going to send you the promise of my father. And in Acts, he expounds on what he means by the promise of the father. He said, tarry here until you receive the promise of the father, which I have told you. You was baptized with water, but not many days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost or with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God is the promise of the Father. So the sending of the Spirit into the hearts of the believer is a promise that God has made. Thousands of years ago, just like he promised the children of Israel that they were going to exist and be in that land, just like he promised David that he was going to have a king to sit upon his throne, just like he promised Abraham that he was going to bring his children from out of the slavery and bring them back into the land. He accomplished that promise. This promise will be accomplished the same and has been done so. But understand that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He promised to send him. He promised to give him to us. And God don't lie when it comes to his promises. Look, go back. Look at John. Let's see another aspect of this, and we're going to expound on it a little bit. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I think I want verse 10. Start at verse 9. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and he just asked her for a little something to drink. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it was that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Now think about this. This lady, he asked for a drink. And she responded, what are you talking to me for? Y'all don't talk to her. But his response, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the, the, the gift that God had and what it was he was giving out, you would have asked of me something to drink and I would have given you living water. So it was something that Jesus thought that these people should have known about a gift from God, about something that God was supposed to send about something that God was supposed to pour forth that connected with water. Because when he asked for a drink, he brought forth this. You should have been asking me. But if you understood the gift of God and who it was that were talking to, you would have asked me. And I would have gave you living water. Go flip over a couple chapters to chapter 7. 
37. Chapter 7, verse 37. Said, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they believed on him, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he in his last day of the feast, they're doing all their ceremonial things. And one of the parts of the ceremony that we can pick up on is that they had the big altar. And the priest brings these jars of water and begin to pour them out to fill the water and to set things up because he got this big washing ceremony that go on. And Jesus stands up in the last day in the midst of this ceremony and saying, if anybody want to drink, anybody that's thirsty, come to me. Saying, if you believe on me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So Jesus making a promise of an expectation that the people who believe living water is going to flow forth from them. But then this summation happened. It said, this he spake concerning the Holy Ghost, which they should receive. But how did Jesus wrap this? He said, as the scriptures have said. So in the mind of Jesus, the pouring forth of the spirit and this living water being in the hearts of people is a fulfillment of scripture. And the declarations of scripture are the declarations of God and the promises of God. So the Holy Spirit coming upon the people of God, dwelling within the hearts of the people of God, is a promise from the Father that we have access to. As he said, those who believe, as the scriptures say, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And he told his disciples, don't leave. Stay right here until you receive the promise of the Father. So the Holy Spirit being poured forth, the Holy Spirit being placed within us is a promise that God has made. And every time I think about this, I've been thinking about it because we said the Holy Spirit is a person, correct? And the Holy Spirit as a person is God, the very God, creator of heaven and earth. But he's the one that's in submission to the plan of God to be sent forth. And in the olden times, before everybody got modernized and hip, they used to do these things called arranged marriages. And one of the crazy things about these arranged marriages, as I think about them, especially reading the story of Abraham, the father sends for a bride. The bride makes an agreement through her family with the father. And that obligates the son to the daughter. I don't think about it. Like, what would happen if she show up and he don't want to be married to her? Like, how did that work? Like, I, I, you, we read Abraham, got Abraham's story. Abraham talked to his servant, and he said, you go get my son a wife. If you can get a woman to agree to come with you, bring her. He goes, he finds Rebecca. Rebecca agrees, 
and travels across the whole country to go and meet this man she never known, to be married to this man she never seen, and to a man who never gave her any promises. The servant couldn't even say, Isaac sent me to get him a wife. No, Abraham sent him. Isaac had nothing to do in this whole transaction. She had an agreement with a servant of Abraham. But because of that agreement, she was willing to travel across the whole country in hopes of being with a man that she never knew, never heard, and never got any promises from. That's sort of deep. But to me, that shows you the cultural power of covenant that they had. That there was no question in her mind of what was going to happen when she got there. The questions we see is, is that my master? <laughs> That's all we get. We don't see them on the journey. And she's saying, oh, is he really going to marry me? You think he's going to like me? What's going to happen if he say no? Am I going to have to go back to my family? None of those questions ever show up. All they ask her, do you want to go? She said, yeah, I'll go. Next thing we know, she pop up. See the man across the field. That's him. Yep. Put on her veil and it's over with. She having twins. <laughs> but it, that, that drives home to me the power of covenant in the culture. They had a real sense of fidelity and the strength and the power of a promise. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because of the agreement that the father made, she had full assurance of what was promised to her. And that was a husband. Because covenant is something that God does not play with. And when God makes a promise, it's sure. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to shew unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into that with, with, within the veil. So he's talking about the promises of God. Say when he, God made a promise to Abraham, say so he could not swear by anything greater than himself. So God couldn't say, I put it on my mama. Cause he ain't had one of them. God can say, I'm saying, on everything I own, because everything he owns is of lesser value than him. 
Ain't nothing you can get that's greater than God. So God said, on God, Abraham. That's what he said. He said, because he couldn't swear by nothing greater. He swore by himself. So when he came to Abraham, he said, on God. I'm going to bless your descendants and I'm going to give them this land. That's what he told him. So he made a promise and he swore himself to an oath, to a, to a promise to Abraham on himself. He put it all on himself. And then he doubled down on it by conforming an oath. He performed a ritual with Abraham. And read the thing is Genesis 15 where God came down. He told Abraham to get some calves. He cut it, put Abraham to sleep. God came down and walked through the pieces of the calf. And that was an ancient covenant ritual. And what used to happen was both parties have to walk through and they confess the covenant over the thing. So we, we put this in blood. But, Abra but God put Abraham to sleep and he walked through it by himself. So the only person that was truly in covenant with was himself. So God made a covenant with himself with Abraham as the beneficiary. So he swore and put it on God. Then he came down and made a covenant, an oath, a blood oath with Abraham. And all this came from a person who could not lie. So he made a promise. Then he made a covenant and he put it all on himself. And the only thing Abraham had to do was be an heir of that promise, to be an heir of that covenant. And he said, we have strong consolation. That means we got real comfort. That means we got something we can hold on to, something that's sure, that's steadfast, that cannot be shaken, that cannot be moving, because we become parts of the promise that God made to Abraham so we can run to it. it says, an anchor for our soul. It ain't going to move. It's there. So as you read the Bible, you see the unfolding of God's promises. And we who believe in Christ become children of Abraham, which means we become partakers of the same promise. But what is the promise of the father? The pouring forth of his spirit. As a free gift, a free gift of the grace of God. So the spirit of God is the promise of the father. So let's go back to where we started. Now, we as human beings were created through the breath of God, through the spirit of God, and that is the source of our life. Once sin entered into the world, we were separated from God, which put us in a state of death, being less than what we were created to be. Our lives don't work, don't function the way we were created to work and function. We do not have a purpose. Because our purpose is to be conduits of the spirit of God, the breath of God within us. That's what animates our soul and animates our being. But God made a promise. And a part of his promise was the pouring forth of the spirit. And the pouring forth of the spirit is the fulfillment of my purpose. So I can be a real man, a true man, everything God created me to be. Why? Because God made a promise. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So how many of you want to fulfill purpose and destiny in your life? 
How many of you want to know what your true identity is? How am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to look like? What am I supposed to live like? How am I supposed to relate to people? How is it that I'm supposed to work and so on and so forth? Everybody want that stuff. But you have to get the first part right before you get the fringes. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Like you can get your little fancy phones. And you can read all the manuals. And you can go on the, the, the YouTube and find out all type of tricks and things that your phone can do. But you can't do none of that stuff if you don't learn how to do it. Turn it on. You can't do none of it. You can figure it all out. They can tell you if you match the, the side with the home button and scroll your finger across the middle, then your phone will turn into a transformer. <laughs> <laughs> you can figure all that stuff out. But if you can't turn the thing on, how much of that stuff you going to be able to do? None of it. Like, I went to see this play, and we were sitting behind this old lady. She had a big old fancy phone, man. I was one of them Galaxy S high numbers. <laughs> she, she had that thing, man, lady about 70-some years old. Pulled that thing out, and now she was trying to do something. She ain't know how to do nothing that she was trying to do with that thing. Had absolutely no clue of what she was doing with that thing. Couldn't even get the, the, the camera to open up the way it was supposed to open. Because she was trying to take a picture or do record a video. I can't remember what she was trying to do. But she couldn't quite figure it out. She was matching every button on that thing and sliding and closing stuff. Like, this woman have no clue what she doing with this $100,000 phone. She spent all this money for something she don't even know how to work. That sounds crazy, don't it? Why would you spend $800 on a phone and you don't know how to use it? Like, you don't do that. That's stupid. Now, think about life. We live. We get up every day with intentions on being and doing stuff. We didn't develop ideas and thoughts and opinions about who we are. We try to live up to that. We get mad at people if they don't treat us by the way that we perceive ourselves to be. But you don't know the basic functions of you, the basic functions of life. You ain't got the first part down right. But you're trying to figure out grand scheme destiny. You understand what I'm saying? It's like if you know that the pilot of the plane, and he told you, like, man, I've been a pilot for 30 years. Like, yeah, man, that's good. Like, where you learn that? Man, the Rufus A. Lewis Library. They got all type of books in there. And I get on the computer, and I be flying people everywhere. I really got this thing figured out. I'm like, man, have you ever flew a real plane? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I'm still trying to figure some things out. I'm saying <laughs> got some stuff that I'm working on. So uh 
but don't judge me. Hey, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you ain't finna fly with this dude. We don't know what he's doing. But you have a conversation about flights and the boards and the lights on the thing. He can break it down. See, what you're supposed to do is this and that because he's set up in the library reading books. He listened to people talk about flying. So he done figured out the right code. He done figured out the right language. He done figured out the right expressions. But he don't know nothing about flying because he never flew nothing. In order to truly learn, you got to get in a plane. That's the definition of being a pilot. Somebody who can sit down in a plane and direct this big aircraft without destroying it. That's what a pilot is. But he carries the identity of a pilot without fulfilling the definition of one. And we do the same if we don't allow ourselves to be moved, directed, and filled by the Spirit of God. We got the identity of human, but we ain't living it. Because the true definition of human cannot be understood if detached from the breath of God or the Spirit of God living through you. In order to truly be a human, you got to stop trying to be in control and let God be God in you. Because that's what you were created. That's the source of your existence. The breath of God being breathed in you. So figure out how to calm your mind. Figure out how to lose detachment to all this stuff and allow God to begin to fulfill destiny in you. But God made you a what? A promise. And a part of that promise is the pouring forth of his spirit. So if you find yourself off kilter, and if you find yourself that you ain't in the will of God, you ain't walking in the destiny of God, that my mind is crazy, my emotions are crazy, and I don't know quite where I'm going on in this life. You have an anchor of the soul, which is the promise of God, a guarantee to you that cannot be changed. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? So soon as you find yourself off kilter, this ain't what I'm supposed to be. This ain't what I'm supposed to be doing. This ain't how I'm supposed to be living. What you're saying to yourself is, I have been somehow disconnected from the life source. So the remedy ain't for me to figure out what I'm supposed to do from over here. The remedy is for me to reset that thing and get back to the original life source, the source of my soul, the source of my strength, the source of my understanding, and allow God to be God in me. But you have a promise from the Father that cannot be undone by anything on this planet. God made you a promise. So if Solomon can worship all them different gods he worshiped, coming right after David. And God say, boy, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to mess up this kingdom. But because of the promise that I made to David, this is going to remain. Are you getting what I'm saying? There was no reason for God to do it. There was no reason for God to allow Judah to make it beyond that point. Other than the fact that God made a promise. So you can say in your head, I messed up, man. My life is crazy. I've done all this stuff I ain't supposed to be doing. I done walked away from God. I done walked away from everything else. I don't know where to go right now. 
I don't feel like I, I want to pray, but I don't feel like I deserve to pray. I want to be close to God, but I don't feel like I can go to him right now. Not how I am. I, I just can't. You're right. You can't. But God made you a what? A promise. And you can say like David, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a clean heart. Give me you. Because that's a promise. In Ezekiel chapter 46, you don't have to turn there. This is crazy little story about the, in the, in the rebuilding of the temple. And, and, and when you read it, it gets to talking about water coming from the temple and so on and so forth. And it talks about the, the rituals that go forth. Then it makes this statement about a prince that shall come into the temple and enter into the gate. And I'm thinking about verse 16 or so. It makes this statement. Say, if the prince gives an inheritance to his sons, it is their inheritance forever. If he gives an inheritance to his servant, it is theirs for a year into the jubilee, and it shall return back unto the prince. But it is his son's inheritance for forever. Not about what in the world are you talking about? But then I think about that thing. The basic meaning of it, or the principle that I, I glean from it, is that if one with authority, a prince, a ruler, has an inheritance for his children, and he gives it to his children, Situations or circumstances of the day cannot undo the giving of the inheritance. It is theirs for forever. That's deep. Because we learned and we thought and we I mean, we taught that Jesus was Prince Messiah coming, King of creation, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he. When he was on his planet getting ready to go, and when we just read about it, he told his people, stay, remain, and I will send you the promise of the Father. This is what he's leaving. This is, this is the thing that he sent forth after his death. This is the inheritance that we receive from him. The pouring forth of the Spirit is our guarantee of the eternal life to come. He said, I'm going to send it. You stay there. And you're going to get the promise of the Father. So if I receive the inheritance, how long is it mine? As long as I am a son. Because a son's inheritance cannot be undone. It cannot be taken away. That's, 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 that's deep. Now, there are some sons who receive an inheritance. But do not live in the fullness of their inheritance. Like you, you, you read about them sometimes. You, you see them on TV and they're crazy. They're smoking all type of dope. Life just wasting away. And you always ask the question, why are they like that? If I had, I would. That's what you say. It's like, man, they got all this. And the only thing they can figure out how to do is go from party to party, club to club, get high, get drunk, and fall out. And you say, if I had, I would. Because you see, there's something in their inheritance that should bring some forth of some form of life within them that you can't see how they don't reach it since they got this to start. You have been given all that, so you should be all this. But we have an inheritance. 
We have something left to us from our God, our Father, our big brother, the Prince of all creation, Prince Messiah, Lord Jesus. And he left it for us and it's ours. But we have to know and understand that we must rest in his inheritance. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Like my dad left me a million dollars. And I told y'all, man, I got to work at Walmart. Got to get it out of the mud. I'm going to save me up some money and I'm going to buy me a Toyota Fiesta. Soon as I get enough money, I'm going down there. Second chance auto sale. <laughs> I'm going to take my W-2. My job is my credit. <laughs> and you'll be like, you fool. <laughs> Why would you work all that time, go down to there and let them people put you in all that debt for that liberty car with them high payments when you got all that money, you can get whatever kind of car you want to. Why would you try to do something that's already been done for you. You, you? you get what I'm saying? Why would you try to do what's already been done? And that's something we have to ask for ourselves. We trying to figure out life. We trying to navigate this world. We trying to overcome this world. We trying to overcome our struggles within us. Jesus said, be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. So why are we trying to do something that's already been done for us? All we got to do is receive our inheritance. And that inheritance begins where life begins, with the spirit being breathed forth in us. And in Acts 1, 5, Jesus talks about this. Let's look at it one more time. We're going to start making our way home. Watch this. Acts 1, 5, talking about this promise from the Father. We're going to pick up at verse 6. It says, when they therefore... In chapter one, said, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, what wilt thou at this wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Holy Ghost is the promise of the Father. And Jesus told him to wait till it come. And he said, after the Holy Spirit come, you shall receive what? Power, dunamis, strength, the ability to do. Like that's what you're going to get when the Holy Spirit come upon you. So power comes with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a promise from what? From God. So God has promised to give me what? Power. And he said, and you're going to be a witness. So you get power and you're going to be a witness. And the only thing that needs to take place is you have to receive the promise of the father. That sounds deep. So step one. Receive the promise of the father. Step two. Get power. Step three. Be a witness. 
How do you do them steps? Receive the promise of the Father. Are, y- are, y- are y'all tracking with me? This is the promise. And what on this earth can undo God's promise? Nothing. Watch this. Go go to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is one of y'all that been around. You know this one a little bit. We're going to look at it in a slightly different light. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. It says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. All right, this is God speaking. So then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. So where does the filthiness of man lie? Some just think about it. Where, where, where are we the most filthy? In our heart. So when he's sprinkling clean water upon you, where he going to sprinkle it? In your heart. So the upon is a somewhat form of in, right? So water going to be inside of you. Doing what? Cleansing you. So water's going to be inside, cleansing you, and you're going to be clean. So after he cleaned, he said, then he'll give you what? I said, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the spirit, the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I just read that part because look, this promise of the spirit being poured forth is connected to the land promise. The land promise was given to Abraham. So this promise of the spirit being poured forth is connected to the promise that God made to Abraham. Are y'all with me? But he's going to put clean water where? On the inside of you. And he's going to put spirit on the inside of you. So you're going to be clean and you're going to be able to do. So now, when you receive the promise of the Father, what do you receive? Power. You receive cleansing. And you receive the ability to do what God wants you to do. Power. Cleansing. And the ability to do what God wants you to do. Are y'all understand that? And all of this is because God made it what? A promise. So how confident should I be that I'm going to have power? Very confident. And if I ever doubt, I need to back up and go. The only reason I thought it in the first place because God made a promise. That's it. So how confident should I be that I'm going to be clean? Very confident. And if I ever doubt it, I need to remind myself the only reason I thought it in the first place was because God made a promise. God made me a promise. So if I find myself unclean, whose fault is it? That's a trick question. Because it don't matter who fault it is. There's only one remedy. Let's say it's my fault. I messed up. And we were taught growing up, if you mess it up, you clean it up. If you take it out, you put it back. 
That's why I don't know why people use the force when I put the empty car back in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we were taught, right? So if my fault I messed up, whose responsibility is for me to fix it? If I train and kick in to play, it's my responsibility to fix it. But what can you do to fix it? Nothing. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's like when I used to go out and play football. And I come home. And I got a big old grass stain on this knee. And nothing to cover this knee. And I mama, I messed my pants up. I ain't got nothing to wear to school. Never did she say, well, you messed them up, you better fix it. I never heard that when I tore my pants up. Either she going to pull out the needle, put the bangs in the washer, try to get that stain out and get the sewing, or she going to have to give me some new pants. But you know what she understood? That even though I messed it up, there was nothing in me that had the ability to remedy what it was that I did. You, you get what I'm saying? It was my fault. I knew that when my school pants I was supposed to change clothes when I got home from school. <laughs> I, I understood that. But she know me. And she understands the situation. You, you get what I'm saying? Do you think she was happy that I tore up my pants and messed them all up? Nope. Could have been downright furious. Does that mean she say, since you tore them up and you can't fix them, you just ain't going to ever go to school again then. I ain't going to ever give you no more pants because you don't know how to take care of pants. Nope. <laughs> and don't none of y'all expect any mama on the planet to ever say that. Even the toughest mama that you ever know of, you would never concede that coming out of their mouth. Because you understand something about mama. That she loves, she cares, and even with discipline, it is her job to take care of her children. And she know that pants is something that they need, and she's going to provide everything that they need, even though they mess them up. And she also know that a little boy with a shaking hand like myself can't even thread a needle, let alone talk about sewing. So the only way it's going to get remedied is if she do it. Now, do you think that my mama was more wise and compassionate than your heavenly father? You, you believe that? That God don't understand you can't fix your stuff. Like my mama could understand that I couldn't sew. And then the hole was too big for anybody to sew them anyway. You, you, you believe that? That... My mama is more compassionate and wise than your heavenly father. So if you can expect her even being mad and frustrated and angry about what it done because it wasn't supposed to have been doing, even if she fussed me up and down and locked me in my room or whatever, you still expect her to give me some pants. You expect that. But somehow we didn't conceive of the idea that our Heavenly Father expect us to get it right before we come back to Him and before we come out of our room. 
Anybody ever thought anything like that? Yes, you have. Because you made a promise, God, I'm going to such, 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 such. And then you don't do it. You be so bad. <laughs> and then the thought pop in your mind, you need to pray. I don't want to pray. I can't pray right now. <laughs> I just feel so bad. <laughs> We've been there, right? What, what are you saying? God ain't going to understand that I messed up and there ain't nothing I can do about it. So you expect quitting is the only option I got. I give up. I ain't gonna say, I can't, I ain't gonna ever be it. It ain't gonna ever happen. I, I stop. God don't care about me. <laughs> and you ain't ask God what he thought. Now, one more time, you just ask all the questions for God. It's like wives do husbands. Like, what dress, what dress you like? This, well, I'm gonna wear this one right here. This one, that dress. What you ask me for? <laughs> if you already knew the answer. And that's how we be with God. I messed up. I fell off. Oh, God. And you start answering everything for God. That's foolishness. God made you a promise. And the promise is to pour on forth for the Holy Spirit. And the promise is to those who believe. So if I ever find myself without the thing, I know that back there, I got a promise that I can go back to. And a part of that promise is power, cleansing, restoration. Because you're going to be my God and I'm going to be your people. All that is a part of the promise. Are y'all with me? Look at two more verses and show you how we, how we fix this thing. Go to Galatians chapter. Well, stop at Luke first. We go in biblical order. No, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. So how do we receive the promise? It's going to be deep now. Deep mystery. All right. So the two secrets of receiving the promise to the kingdom, the hidden mysteries to unlock your destiny. Verse 14, Galatians chapter 3. Well, let's start at 13. Said Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hanged on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. So Jesus became a curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, as all the non Jews, through Jesus Christ. So the blessings come through Jesus. And they come through Jesus that we might receive the promise of what? The spirit, which is the power, the cleansing, the might, and the restoration. We might get that through faith. So what you got to do to get power, might, cleansing, restoration? Believe. And what if you find yourself that you ain't living in power, might, cleanse, and restoration? Believe? That's the only answer. You go back and you believe. That's all you got to do. Believe. And if you believe, you get the promise of the Spirit. Go to Luke chapter 11. So these heap, these deep, hidden mysteries that nobody would ever feel, figure it out. 
So God give you the great revelation. Luke chapter 11. Uh, verse 9. And Jesus speaking said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? That's deep. Now you say, I don't even know how we figured that out. These mysteries are so, so confound and wrapped in there. Like, golly. We didn't figure out the key to life. Believe and ask. And you get the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father is the Spirit which is the source of your existence as a human being, because we came to be when God breathed the spirit of life within us. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? And you know what? All of these that we just read are what? Promises. God made you a promise that if you believe, you get the promise of the spirit. God made you a promise. If you ask, he's going to give you the Holy Ghost. That's all you got to do. God made you a promise. So if your mind is telling you something other than what God has promised you, who lied? Who is lying? God or you? If you reach a, 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 some conclusion other than what we just read on these pages, who lying? God or you? You are. God made you a promise. And he said, ask, seek, knock, you're going to get it. That's all you have to do. So you ask and believe that you get what you're going to ask and you will get the spirit of God. That's, that's, that's deep. So if you want to figure out your destiny. If you want to know how to truly be human, how to truly be what God created you to be, what you need to do, ask for the promise of the Father and believe that you're going to receive. How often do you ask? As often as you need him. How often do you need him? Every day. That's deep. So when you wake up tomorrow, what you need to do? Ask. For the promise of the Father, believe that you receive. When you get to work, what you need to do? Ask for the promise of the Father and believe that you're going to receive it. How often do you be asking? As often as you need him. So when you feel a certain way in your heart and your mind that you don't supposed to be feeling that way, you don't even got to say, I ain't going to think about it. I ain't going to think about it. <laughs> you ain't even got to say, 
spirit or whatever, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You ain't got to do all that. You can feel it and you're like, God, I need the spirit. Please give me your spirit, God. Because if you give me your spirit, your spirit will cleanse me from whatever this is that's making me feel like this. So I ain't got to learn no trick how to muster up thoughts and to change the way I think. I can't do that anyway. Because once I'm thinking about something I'm thinking about. Then even I try to thank myself to change what I'm thinking about, I got to think about what I'm changing my thoughts from thinking about. Or else I'm going to forget what I was thinking about and I might start thinking about it again. (laughs) So the easy way for me is to say, Jesus, I need you. Give me the promise of the Father. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's what we have access to. And this ain't just no side friends thing. This is life, destiny that flows throughout the whole Bible. And Jesus expected them folks who we thought didn't know nothing about the Spirit to understand that living water supposed to be flowing out of you. Because that's what God promised. And God ain't gonna lie. And would you say, well, I'm not as good as Abraham. He won't lie. To, he might won't lie to Abraham, but that don't mean he going to do it for me. I don't deserve it. Abraham believed him. I don't believe. That might be true. Abraham may be a whole lot better than you. I never met him, so I don't know. But if it was true, you get to partake in the promise he made to who? Abraham. So it don't matter. You don't deserve it. Well, Abraham did for some reason, so you still get it anyway. It still counts for you. Because he made it to Abraham, and that's the promise. The promise of Abraham is the promise of the Spirit poured upon his people in the restoration of the people of God into the land of God to be all God created them to be. So you get it anyway. So nope, you don't deserve it. You ain't worthy. You ain't good enough. God ain't make you no promise. He made one to Abraham and you get the benefit from him. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? <laughs>